Hello, I am Hunter Rogerson, and welcome to another episode of We Are Here. A deep breath is taken, and a soft, bright morning sunlight shines as far as the eye can see. Many souls stroll down the sidewalk of a long, tree-lined front street. All tread on its mix of faded red brick and cream-colored pavement. A stream of two or three cars drive past, halting at the crosswalk. Quiet envelops the entire scene of level, colonial-era buildings. Only the age-old Georgetown time clock reaches into the wide, near-cloudless sky of tinted blue. Like patches on a quilt, the rows and rows of squarish buildings colored from garnet to gray to blue form the artwork that is Front Street. The sound of nature and some light pervades the area. Restaurants and ice cream parlors fill the air with the scent of cooked seafood and sweet, sugary ice cream. Peering through the alleyways of greenery and shade reveals glimpses of brown and deeper blue on the other side. The straightforward, sunlit path of the harbor walk lies ahead. Over the rail and out into the distance runs the Sampit River and Winya Bay. A strip of marshland covered by reeds provides a backdrop of rich green amid deep blue. White mass of boats docked to the pier stretch out into the air, casting shadows onto the second faces of the properties of Front Street. Each footstep is met with the hollow noise of wood clunking. The wind whistles above, and the water laps at the poles suspending the pier below. Many backroads diverge from Highway 701. One path descends directly into the dark water of the Black River. Woods of mossy cypress trees on both sides of the path, a few residents come to this landing to drop their boats off from the trailers of their trucks. Only nature surrounds the area, filling the air with a dull, earthy scent of the swamp. The evening light shines over the messy treetops and cattail reeds. Fiddler crabs crawl in the mud under the fallen brush and near the grooved pavement of the landing. The air is still and warm, and the Black River rolls up and down the landing without any rhythm. It is easy to be lulled asleep in this remote path. This is home for a native Georgetown citizen, and it has been like this since its founding as a city in South Carolina. Georgetown's history begins with the birth of the United States. Noted by Britannica, the original 13 colonies marked the growth of the first cities in America. Created and settled upon around the 17th century, the American colonies developed near the Atlantic and grew westward up until the American Revolution. Both the historic cities near the coast and the more modern cities to the west have all resulted from the development of these colonies. Settlers who ventured to the southern colonies usually took the voyage for financial reasons. A historic battlefield-preserving website, battlefields.org, states that these areas provided colonists the perfect climate and soil to grow the cash crops of tobacco, cotton, and indigo, a dark blue dye valued at a premium by many European powers, alongside other raw materials to be sent to the British Isles or to other colonies. The southern colonies' economies flourished through the export of cash crops, but only with the use of Native American land and slave labor. As one of the southern colonies, South Carolina capitalized on its fertile soil and its closeness to the Atlantic coast. These cities that make up South Carolina relied on their plantations and ports extensively, and Georgetown was one of them. The city of Georgetown has a rich past and future. As GeorgetownSC.gov puts it, Georgetown's long history, combined with its diversity of cultures, linkage to the sea, triumphs, defeats, and revitalizations, have all contributed to create an area known for its charm and beauty. Georgetown's history and the many facets stemming from it are what sets the city apart from any other. Georgetown was established shortly after two other South Carolina cities. It was founded in 1729 after Charleston and Beaufort and became a port in 1732. The sea played a large part in making Georgetown the coastal city that it is today. Georgetown was also an important place during America's fight for independence. 
Georgetown played an active role in the American Revolution by sending Thomas Lynch Sr. and Thomas Lynch Jr. to the Continental Congress, where the younger was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. The city's history ties them with the history of the United States itself. Cash crops that were grown on county plantations were readily shipped for profit. After Indigo, plantation owners grew rice using slave labor and sold the crop for money, and rice became so profitable that it was dubbed Carolina Gold by 1840. Both rice and slavery have impacted the culture of present-day Georgetown. Rice remains one of its staple foods today, and many museums maintain the history of slavery in the hopes that it will never happen again. After the Civil War, massive changes were made throughout the county. During the Reconstruction period, rice lost its profitability and Georgetown had to find another economic source. But by the 20th century, Georgetown's profits would become from paper, steel, and tourism. While the city faced many setbacks from the Civil War, it eventually returned to its former glory with the development of new industries that remain productive even today. The story of Georgetown is one of antiquity and growth alike, and its relevance will remain far into the future. A small town adapting to the 21st century, Georgetown is now at economic crossroads. The fate of the Georgetown steel mill will decide the city's main industry, whether the land will be reused for an industrial economy or repurposed for a tourism-based economy. It is in Georgetown's best interest to invest in tourism, which has not dropped in demand during the pandemic and remains a strong industry to this day. The steel mill is a risky, unsustainable source of profit. During 2015, a Knight Ritter Tribune Business News writer named Joseph S. Peet describes an instance where the steel mill has costed Georgetown's economy. He writes that around 226 mill workers will have been forced to find other jobs when the owner of the Georgetown steel mill, Arcelor Middle, closes it down. This is one of many instances where the steel mill has been a drawback rather than a profit. In addition, the market for the steel rods that it produces is unfavorable. Pete adds, imports, high input costs, and ramped up competition have led ArcelorMittal to reevaluate long-term prospects for its operations, such as the wire rod mill that slated for closure in South Carolina. The steelmaking industry itself is unsuitable to base Georgetown's economy on. Later, the Georgetown Steel Mill will be purchased by a new owner, Liberty Steel, but the mill would suffer the same fate as it did in 2015. As of 2020, Sun News writer Jenna Farhat writes that the mill will have suffered at least two rounds of layoffs and that the coronavirus pandemic-induced drop in manufacturing is to blame. The same combination of low demand and job loss has hit the mill again after its reopening. The mill is doomed to suffer the same outcome after every reopening and its land should be adapted for tourism. Unlike Georgetown's steel production, tourism shows more financial promise. It remains a strong industry and supports Georgetown's economy. Amy Russo, an ABC News 4 writer, declares that Georgetown County has, despite the pandemic, seen a big increase in tourism and has accrued $2.5 million in accommodations tax, which is paid when hotels are rented. Tourism is a steady source of income for Georgetown and can weather events like the coronavirus epidemic. In addition, the industry provides more jobs than any other among Grand Strand cities. Mandy Noel writes on a WMBF News article, that those tourism dollars that support some 83,000 jobs on the Grand Strand account for more than half of all employment. Tourism alone provides more jobs than every other business of the Grand Strand, proving that Georgetown should delegate more of its efforts into tourism rather than steel. Tourism's success has been an integral part of Georgetown's profit, and it should be tapped into further. The city of Georgetown will benefit greatly from repurposing the mill and could possibly introduce buildings that could accommodate more visitors like hotels. The land that the Georgetown Sumo is built upon is next to the popular Front Street and is a perfect location to develop attractions that attest to the beauty of Georgetown.
The rounds of layoffs from the Georgetown steel mill have even reached my family who live in Georgetown. My father was an engineer for the mill and was tasked to fix damaged equipment should anything break. During 2003, he was among the many people who lost their jobs because of the mill's bankruptcy, and I was already a newborn infant at the time. My parents struggled with having no money. My father drove to the unemployment office three times a week looking for jobs, and my mother, a nurse on maternal leave, had to take care of me all the while. My family held yard sales, selling anything that we could afford to lose to pay for necessities. They sold clothes, tools, and even sold their newer car and downsized to an old $2,000 Concorde. Eventually, we went on welfare. My father put in countless applications to work in another steel mill in Charleston called Newcore Steel. After a year, he was finally accepted out of 2,000 other applicants, and my mother was finally able to go back to work as a part-time nurse. My parents would trade watching a very young me according to their days off. Fortunately, we did not have to move out of Georgetown for better job opportunities. Georgetown has always been a significant place to me because it is my home and, by extension, my life. Most, if not all, of my formative life events and memories have happened in Georgetown, and only a person who knows the city by heart can fully appreciate its small-town feeling. I would not trade my home city for any other.